Oh, well, I remember. Um, can we just go through and, like, just our names? And so. I'm Andy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Fibwick. And I'm Broletariat, the Darth Vader of communism. You made this so difficult, you two. <laughs> How did I, I make it, it difficult? It's so straightforward. You both said, and I'm. <laughs> so now I'm going to have to edit mine to be first. <laughs> even though I went okay. second, because Andy started with, and I'm Andy. You fucking... <laughs> here, 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 Fib, I, I can do my name again. I'm Andy. I'm Fibwick. I'm Broletariat. The Darth Vader of communism. I like how this time none of us said the word and. This is even worse. You said Andy, <laughs> you said Andy which has the word and in it. Uh, oh, shut the... So the name of the podcast is Or Does It Explode? And that's from a Langston Hughes poem. So I thought maybe it might be interesting to talk a little bit about that. Maybe that's connection with, like, leftist thought, you know, just in general. Like the the poem Harlem, it's a good poem. So uh, it's it's a short poem too. So like oh, we yeah. can even just pull it up and recite it right now. What happens to a dream deferred? Does it dry up like a raisin in the sun, or fester like a sore and then run? Does it stink like rotten meat, or crust and sugar over like a syrup sweet? Maybe it just sags like a heavy load, or does it explode? And that's the whole poem. Yeah, as it. <laughs> It's a pretty solid poem. Yeah, and so, I mean, the basic idea behind the poem is, like, it's about, you know, delayed racial equality, basically. And it's like, there is this impression, I would imagine, among, like, the black community that they've, like, worked. They've been told, like, you know, you just have to, I mean, everybody gets told it, but it's like, you you can be accepted. You just have to, like, you know, be acceptable, be respectable, be, you know, be white, basically, you know. And then, then we'll we'll accept you, and then you can have this equality and stuff. They've been doing this and waiting and waiting and waiting. Civil rights movement happens, and it's like, okay, no, it, it explodes. You know, this dream of racial equality has been deferred, basically. And the idea is that it's it's gonna explode. You know, it's it's not just something that you can you can put off. That eventually people will get fed up with this kind of thing, and the movement will erupt and explode in one way or another. You know. I, honestly, the reason I chose the name, or, or does it explode, for for the email, is that like like seven or eight years ago now, we, we almost did a publication, and we were going to call it, or does it explode? I just sort of kept that. It didn't wind up being the name of um our actual publication. The name of the publication is obviously Anti-Capital. But I've sort of kept, or does it explode, as just sort of an umbrella project. And I think it's a phrase that, in a poem, that doesn't, have to exclusively apply to racial equality, but it can apply to just human emancipation in general, whether that's, you know, proletarian emancipation or, like, women's emancipation or black emancipation or, like, immigrant, like, anything like that is, like, if you keep putting off the problems and struggles of these various uh, exploited groups, that energy gets pent up and will explode sooner or later, and it's, it's just a matter of time basically and the the forms of those explosions because that's sort of just a vague saying basically can vary like police kill people all the time but then occasionally they'll kill somebody and like suddenly there's a bunch of protests and things like that and it's like well why did that one do it and usually it's because that community where that person was murdered or brutalized or whatever the specific case may be has dealt with this for an extended period of time 
and it's just a match on the fuel basically and it explodes and explosions can be either controlled explosions where there may be an organization present to direct that energy to very specific uh, ends and aims or it can be sort of a wild explosion where it, it just sort of attacks any available target and maybe fizzles out on its own because it's not energy isn't concentrated basically by some sort of organization so the, the idea is that the explosion is going to happen one way or another uh, inevitably with or without our intervention but being able to organize that explosion and direct it in meaningful ways where you can harness that energy is is a way to kind of like actually get something done <laughs> you know productive if that makes sense adding to what you were talking about is i forget where i read it it could have been just at some discussion in the book club but i i want to say it was the communist manifesto but i believe i read something where they were talking about uh where they're comparing the proletariat to like store of gunpowder and stuff kind of what's often happening is that it's just more and more gunpowder being stored and it just piles up waiting at some point for that like match to get go off that little spark that just kind of sets it all off you know yeah, yeah it reminds me i think i think i think it was an introduction by john where they talked about um they, they they talked about like the alienation of power and that i that sense that growing sense of like estrangement and like inability to act and to like influence the world around you and how that atrophies and builds up in a population lead and it just leads to these vicious riots like in in get in in ghettos they pointed to i think it was a while when i read it each t each time each each explosion essentially is bigger and bigger as they feel more and more helpless and lash out more and more aggressively and it reminds me Reminds me of that. Yeah, um, I don't think the gunpowder quote comes from the manifesto. I, yeah. I, it, it sounds familiar, but I don't think it's a manifesto quote. But it's definitely... Um, I've read four books on it. <laughs> so it's either the manifesto, socialism, utopian, and scientific, state revolution, or capital. It's one I of those. To, I, I need to read. I, need to, I still need to read two of those. <sighs> I, I, I'm torn between if it's state and revolution or socialism utopian, actually. I read On Authority by Engels as well. Like that that's article. That might be where it came from. <laughs> when I went to college, I went to the gym there. There's this, like, ex-football player who, <laughs> he would always, like, tell me what he was doing that day. He was like, I'm doing curls for the girls, or he's doing rows for the hoes, and things like that. Yes. And he was, like, really into it and stuff. And one day I hit him back with one. And he's like, what are you working today, man? And I tell him, I'm working my thighs, and I can see his eyes light up. He's like, oh, yeah, I haven't heard this one before. I'm going to get a new one to use for the guys. And he was so <laughs> deflated. He was like, oh. <laughs> like you, It was this amazing change in his face where he was like, oh, this is great. I haven't heard one that rhymes with thighs before. He thought he was going to get something new he could use. And I'm like, for the guys. And he was just guys. like, oh. He, he got pretty uncomfortable after that. I think he stopped talking to me. <laughs> oh, no. But hey, yeah, whatever. Yeah, that that internalized homophobia just like comes out in the weirdest ways. Yeah, I know. It's like, come on, man, that's a good one. Come on, you gotta give it to me. But you could also like, you could even like, as a not straight person, I interpreted that as like for the boys kind of yeah. thing. Yeah. So oh, I didn't yeah, even yeah. like see that as like a like a like a potential innuendo. I, mean, I saw that as a potential innuendo, but only because of the context of like. Yeah. Like the yeah, yeah, yeah. The previous. Because well, I knew it was coming. Yeah. But, like, if it was just, if I just heard that out of context, I probably would have thought that was, like, for the boys, eh, Parker's Sim Champ, whatever. 
did you just say? <laughs> I don't know. That's the issue. I don't know the slang of my own youth. I like I've heard my older brother how he speaks, and it's horrible. And I don't know what he's saying. How old is he? He's eighteen. Oh, okay. Wait, you need to like rope him into this sort of stuff. Where's he at? Uh, well, I. <laughs> I mean, I could try, but like he won't. He'll get kicked eventually. You know what he gave me for Christmas? What did he give you for Christmas? He gave me a framed picture of a KKK rally. That's his sense of humor. Oh God. Oh boy. Yeah. Oh, okay. God. So, um, Message received. So, like, he's not actually, like, he's not a KKK member. He's not really racist. but He's just a KKK member, ironically. Pretty much. <laughs> he's, not, he's not as bad as the people that are like it, ironically. But he definitely has a bad sense of humor. Like, it's bad. He's but, your brother, so you're not going to say too much bad about him. I get it. It's part of me that I won't speak ill of him, or I don't want to speak ill of him because he's my brother. I also know he has stood up for me, because I've talked before about my own sexuality with my mom, for example. And um, and my and he was more accepting of it than she was. And she's like a social democrat, but she was kind of weird about it. But my brother, like when he, my, my brother saw that I was getting uncomfortable and I almost got to the point of tears. Actually, no, I did get to the point of tears. My brother like stood up for me and like completely like backed me up and kind of swore her out and was honestly out of line. He was overzealously in favor of my sexuality, so to speak. Yeah, I get you. That sort of highlights an interesting thing that I like to... It's one of the themes that I like to talk on. It's a phrase that I think the international communist current, their left communist group, I don't know if they coined it, but they definitely use it a lot. Their, their phrase is something like, communism is not a nice idea, it is a material necessity. Yeah, and Mike used that quote from Marx a lot. Yeah, Mike used to be in the international communist current, ah, I think. Well. The idea is basically that like people in general have a really hard time understanding abstract ideas and concepts and things. Like You go to the average person and you're like, oh yeah, communism, eh? And they're like, no. But you're like, hey, you want to get paid more, right? And they're like, yeah. You know, like, the, the more you can concretize an issue for someone, the easier it is to kind of push them along the right direction. So, like, my dad, he's, he's kind of like a right-wing Republican-y guy. But he used to work in an oil refinery, and he doesn't, he's not, like, in favor of unions or anything like that. But the oil refinery had a union. It wasn't a closed shop, so he didn't have to join the union. But the union negotiated on behalf of everybody. And he joined the union just because he felt that it was wrong for the union to represent him when he wasn't a member of the union. So, like, even someone who says they're against unions voluntarily joined a union and paid union dues. There's this huge disconnect between actions and, like, what you say closer and closer you can concretize these issues the the more progressive people get i guess is what i'm trying to say so like where your brother might make a lot of these jokes and stuff if you can bring the issue to a concrete point where the issue is not about sexuality but about defending your brother then he can show up on the right side you know i don't know i want to say he has good like intentions but sometimes like i don't think he thinks a lot of racist things i think he just thinks they're they're funny to say I, I mean, I, I was going to point out friend, a friend of mine is like that. We have, in, in, in our friend group, we have a few trans people, a few people of color, and he makes just incessant trans and, like, borderline racy jokes, like, a lot. It's like this, it's like this weird thing, well, he'll, he'll like, do that. And it, it has made some of them uncomfortable, and they have talked to him about it. He does it in a sense because he finds it genuinely funny, but at the same time, he would genuinely and has genuinely, like, stood up for them in just the most 
extremely like zealous and fanatic ways that you can only get between like really close friends. Like I, I remember more than once when we were when we were still all in high school together, which um, he would go into just the most aggressive conversations with basically anyone who tried to pull shit. And he, he still like talks about these kinds of issues with his conservative family. Like he, he genuinely is someone who understands to the extent that you can as like a cishet white person of like these struggles that they face and like genuinely wants to help them and is genuinely friendly with them but he also like still makes those kinds of jokes it's this weird dichotomy of like shifting between like two realities like the edgy yeah. like pseudo alt-right dark humor and then also would literally die for them yeah it's the uh uneven and combined development of consciousness basically <laughs> And I mean, it's it's a real thing, you know, where people can simultaneously hold, like, a really regressive opinion and maybe even take really regressive actions when it comes to, like, a, a sexist, racist kind of position, but then can simultaneously be, like, a really ardent union, union av- advocate. It kind of, that's kind of brought up in the article that we read this week. Um, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, w- I, w- I, w- I want to tie it into this because I could do some advertising for that. The limits of the union form. The limit of the union form. In the article we read this week in the book club, the, the limit of the union form, that was kind of brought up with the racist policies in unions and whatnot. Yeah, and uh, in the article specifically, it, it talks about Jimmy Hoffa and an incident that happened while he was organizing in prison where he gets approached by some, some black members and they're like, okay, we got to deal with some racism, some issues in, with racism, you know? And Jimmy Hoffa's like, whoa, 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 let's get the prison sorted out for everybody first before we deal with your problems. He, he kind of just like marginalized their problems and said, we got to deal with issues that affect everybody first before we can deal with your specific issues. And that relegates minorities to a perpetual uh, status of special interest, which never gets addressed because it doesn't overlap with <laughs> the interests of the majority within that organization. And so the ultimate point of the article is that like, within itself, the trade union will sacrifice the interests of its minorities for the interests of the majority, whether that's a racial minority or a gender minority or like a, a skill minority, like a trade minority. But within the broader context of society, they'll sacrifice the interests of the majority of society for their minority trade union interests. And an example of that would be sort of your no-strike clauses that were added for during the time of World War One or World War Two, where the majority of society was getting uh, kind of screwed over by a world war, but the trade unions went along with it and refused to oppose it because they were getting a sweet deal out of it, you know? Yeah, it's, it's picked up later in the article um, when he talks about Gompers. Yes. Yeah, the, the quotes like Samuel Gompers, the Marxist, could support racial equality and integrated trade unions. Well, Samuel Gompers, the, the trade union bureaucrat, could support the formation of segregated local unions. Samuel Gompers, the individual trade union, could be elect member, could be electrified by the militant class struggle and racial unity of the New Orleans general strike. While Samuel Gompers, the president of the AFL, could oppose the general strike tactic. The like the whole ar- article was talking about how you're caught in like a catch twenty two when you're within not just the union form, but sort of engaged in trade unionism. Yeah, exactly. And um, even the opening paragraph, I'll just quote from it, it says, The lessons of the proletariat's accumulated experience of the class struggle elaborate the folly of revolutionaries when they try to gain structural control of the trade unions outside of revolutionary situations. So it's this idea that the trade unions aren't going to be 
revolutionary organizations without revolutionary intervention. But it has to be genuine revolutionary intervention. So like you, you can't quote unquote trick your way into the leadership and then just expect to be able to implement all your awesome revolutionary ideas, you know? If Gompers would have been hardline against segregated local unions and been intransigent on that, then he simply wouldn't have remained president of the AFL. So he had to basically sacrifice the interests of the minority in order to support the interests of the majority because that's that's what happens in trade unions. There's there's sort of a discussion to be had about whether or not trade unions themselves can be revolutionary as a specific organizational form at all. The idea with this article is that basically they can't <laughs> because within society as a whole they're going to sacrifice the interests of the majority for their own specific trade union interests but then even within their even within themselves they're going to sacrifice the interests of their minorities to support the interests of their majorities. It's like this awful, hilarious thing that goes on. It, like, it's just this very self-serving yeah. kind of thing. Yeah, uh, there's this part I specifically liked that was just, when it, when it got to the shortened version of it, that was, what's good for the trade union is sometimes good for, like, the members of the trade union, but what's bad for the trade union is always bad for the members of the trade union. Something like that. Yes, yes. Yeah, what's, what's, what's good for the union is uh, sometimes good for the class. What's yeah. bad for the union is always bad for the class. Yeah. It ties into how you had answered uh, my question in today's discussion, bro, with, um, you'd, you'd use the phrase intervening in a way that the class can grow over what we do. Essentially, it's in encouraging the continued self-organization, conti uh, c encouraging reciprocal solidarity, encouraging progressively greater material conquests. Yeah, yeah, and um, that that specific phrase that he was using about the unions there already had one of the phrases he uses sometimes is that a victory is not always a victory, but a defeat is always a defeat. Specific instances would be like if if like voter disenfranchisement is going on, and let's say there was just like an explicit attempt to just be like black people can't vote anymore if we win a victory and we are able to overthrow that attempt is that really that much of a victory you know what i mean like it was a victory but mm, i mean all you really did was maintain the status quo but if you lost that victory like that fight that would be a real defeat the the battles you fight in general not just even on a trade union terrain but on like a political terrain are not always forward marching battles you know like sometimes you're just fighting a battle just to not lose ground and winning doesn't mean you gained anything it just means you didn't lose the sort of the goal for a revolutionary organization is to try and take that situation and grow it over beyond the original terrain that it originated on so that the situation isn't that dire if the situation arose where there was a legitimate attempt to just say black people can't vote anymore then a revolutionary organization would try and take that struggle and expand it to be about more than just the vote like if you wouldn't be satisfied with that if that was an actual attempt that would release so much pent-up energy like everybody would be against that basically and there would be so much energy in the streets and it would initially be directed against that specific target and it wouldn't be enough to just defeat that target because that's just maintaining the status quo. While that energy is there, you should try and funnel that in with a lot of these, um, like defund the police things, abolish the police things, like that, that sort of thing. You know, you could, you could really start to grow over onto different terrains and kind of connect it to like a, a minimum wage kind of struggle because obviously minorities in general are more likely to be on a minimum wage just because they're more likely to be paying uh, in, in a worse paid position because that's the nature of racial discrimination in America. <laughs> so if you can make an argument for a raising of the minimum wage along with these uh, political arguments, then like you start dovetailing a political and an economic struggle, uh, which is which is where we're going with things, right? <laughs> yeah. It's a, it's a question of generalization. Yes. 
is a term that I love and now use all the damn time. Same. <laughs> I'm I'm down for any time that we can make Andy use less uh, sociology vernacular but and embrace some never. vernacular. Never. I, I don't want to hear more about affinity. I switch between like so many different vernaculars at this point. It's, it's ridiculous. So I'm just constantly like switching languages, and I never know what I'm saying anymore. Yeah, I think that's it, that's sort of just another instance. I think of having difficulty with abstractions when like the concrete things are very plain and obvious. In, in 1917, you know, there's um, all these soldiers in the front lines who are like like they just fucking hate the Bolsheviks. They're like these these people are awful, you know, because it's an abstract idea, you know, the Bolsheviks. It's it's not something they're really confronted with on the front lines in world war one you know but after they like in the, in their conversations they'll have they'll be like ah you know we'll kill the bolsheviks if we ever catch them blah 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 their, their other conversations are like oh we gotta end this war immediately we need to get land to the peasants immediately we need all power to the soviets they're propounding issues and positions that the bolsheviks are supporting it's just that you have to bridge that gap <laughs> you have to make communism not be just a nice idea but a material necessity and you need to make it understood that that's what it is you know i i, I forget how that connects in with a vernacular <laughs> but it does in my brain it does. <laughs> i think with my brother is that also where he's kind of another thing is that like like he's not i don't think he's actually like racist i don't think he like he doesn't think a lot of the things he says and he's not actually prejudiced but like i know he refuses to acknowledge that his actions have consequences, you know? And he refuses to acknowledge the fact that while he's he's not actually racist, like, racist jokes normalize that kind of racism. It's trivializing it. But, like, his friends as well. While he, I think, is genuinely not racist, I'm not convinced about his friend. I know for a while one of his friends was a Trump supporter. I don't think they are anymore. But for a while one of them was. And I know another one of his friends, like, thinks the Jews are behind everything. <laughs> Yeah. But, like, that one's just deranged. He isn't actually racist himself, but he completely tolerates it, 100%. It doesn't factor into, like, his choice of friends. There's a journal called Cured Quail that I like. They, they have a bit just, like, about modern illiteracy, and there's a line in one of their things. It's, like, something about a society where, like, nobody ever has to grow up anymore. I, I, I'm sure you'll get this from Inverse, too, but, like, I'm 27. I can tell you that, like, the mentality of most of the people that I meet that are my age is, like, exactly the same as, like, people I knew in high school school people don't really grow up and it's like exactly what you're saying about not seeing like the consequences of your actions and not understanding the things you do have consequences basically it's i think that's like part of growing up people's actions are so divorced from the consequences that come about from them that nobody ever really grows up anymore there's no sense of responsibility for like what you do anymore and so like that that ties back in with your racism thing that you're talking about there's like an old i think it's a german joke where it's like you know, you, you have a room full of 10 Nazis and then you have one regular person come in and he's talking with all the Nazis and chilling and hanging out. The room is now full of 11 Nazis. Yeah. If, if you tolerate that sort of thing, you are effectively allowing it to exist. It's it's not enough to not be racist. You have to actively be anti-racist. Doesn't that tie back into the article we read? At least a little with a bit about how they weren't, their progressiveness was just in them being not racist, but not anti-racist. Yeah, that, that was, that was, that was um, I think, halfway through. Is, or, like, the absence of racism didn't actually lead to greater progression. Right, because racism is, like, the default state. 
so simply by not promoting the default state it continues to exist it, it's not enough to just not be racist you have to be actively anti-racist in the ways and means that are available to you and sometimes that is just as small as refusing to be friends with people who are racist i, I think especially today people don't even know like what a racist person is racism is not prejudice or like an opinion it's a structural systematic thing it doesn't matter if somebody is like oh i'm fine with black people you know they're cool my best friend is black you know that sort of thing if the company that they run systematically pays black people less and puts them in worse positions than white people you know you can think that black people are like completely intelligent you know like equals with whites in every way but if you're running a company that systematically discriminates against black people and takes advantage of the fact that black people tend to be in more desperate living conditions because of things like police murders and like the fact that where they live tend to be over policed and everything like that and you take advantage of that to hire them in worse positions and pay them less then you are a racist <laughs> regardless of what you think you think about black people racism is not a matter of opinion it's a matter of how you relate to the structure of racial oppression and yeah that that ties into like a lot of stuff that i've seen like arguments put forward by conservatives is like well did did he say something racist or did he say the n-words like no it's it's not just like you know what you're saying is like what it's what you're doing it's how you're relating to <laughs> the wider society and then like those beliefs of like racial inferiority will lead to actions of racism is kind of where people get the conflation you can breed a cognitive dissonance where you believe that black people are equal but then at the same time think that it's perfectly fine that they get paid less and get shot more and all yeah. that stuff you know it's like well wait a minute if you, if you really thought that then you'd probably be trying to do something to change this because it's horrible the way that minorities get treated in america <laughs> our goal is basically obviously the eradication of racism and that includes a social eradication of racism which means the social eradication of racists whether that means the physical destruction or the social destruction and part of that can simply be a social exclusionary measure if you set up spaces that racists are uncomfortable and excluded from then it's sort of a case of beating them into shape so to speak and that starts small where you're telling me your brother has a friend group and most of them are more or less racist if he stops participating with that group that group begins to lose legitimacy if that makes sense they're one less person and then your brother's more likely to aggregate to a different group of people who are not racist and he'll be adding his legitimacy to that group and it would hopefully ideally be a group that would refuse to be friends with or like associate with racist people and and so in, in, in that sort of way, as opposed to just like a physical act of destruction, it's sort of a social act of destruction, like you're kind of disrupting social networks and things like that, by just kind of refusing to keep them in your friend group. Because like, you, you do stuff for your friends, you just do. Like, today I helped my friend move. If you just make life more difficult for racists, <laughs> that's great, you know what I mean? <laughs> Like, I'm, I'm advocating for systemic discrimination against racists. Like, you build a counter-racism if you want to say that. It's just an anti-racism, though, right? Like, you deny these people basic social acts like that, like helping them move or whatever. It's like, no, I'm not going to help you move. You're racist. Fuck, I'm not going to do that. Like, if you have a coworker who you know is racist, and they're like, oh, I'm moving. Can you help me move? It's like, uh, no, dude, you're a racist prick. I'm not helping you move. <laughs> it's like, yeah, say, you're an asshole. Fuck off. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's, like, it's de-platforming it's de 101. Just now apply not just to fascists. Yeah, it, and it's generalized. You know, you can apply it to every aspect of your life. Like, there's there's a shitload of people in the world. You, you can't tell me that you can't find non-racist friends. Being exposed to this has like sent me into such a panic on like source validity 
Mike Huff's articles all on like, you know, historical liquidation and like how to trust historical analysis that has all like been plaguing me these last few days, these last few, like this last month. Yeah. It's like, how, who do I believe? Yeah. I don't know. Like, I haven't gotten into history at all. When I started to try to get into, like, knowing stuff more, I got to history, and I was like, oh, Jesus Christ. And I just, I just like, I haven't done that yet. I just kind of, <laughs> I'm just scared, man. I got into theory, because, like, I can read Marx, and, like, this is fucking Marx. This is about, like, what a commodity is. That's not propaganda. Here, Fib, Fib, do you know what, do you know what a commodity is? Oh, I, 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 <laughs> not this again. <laughs> did you listen to the episode? I did, I was you laughing my ass off. fucker, I swear, it is. I was laughing so hard, I'm so sorry. You motherfucker. <laughs> you weren't wrong, you were just only half right. A commodity is a exchange value and a use value. Go fuck yourself. Correct. Generally. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's like back to <laughs> back to the main topic. So yeah, join the book club, do the history section. You're gonna learn some shit. <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna learn you a thing or two. Yeah. I have basically just woken up and speed run edited this podcast, so I'm barely alive. But I'm here to remind you that you can find the show notes in the description of the SoundCloud upload and in the description of the Spotify upload. You can probably also find them in, like, the description of the iTunes upload and stuff. I have to check, but they're definitely in the SoundCloud description. You can always go there if you want to get to the show notes, which I highly recommend you check out, because then you can read the articles we talked about, join the book club, etc. Which you should also do, join the book club. There's also a link to that in the show notes if the link doesn't work. Then, uh, or if maybe the show notes aren't there for whatever reason, please email us at or does it explode at protonmail.com and we can get you a link to the book club. But yeah, that's it, comrades. Yeah, it's kind of like a, the leftist space. Maybe that can put some ideas in his head that he, that get, but getting them not from. His brother coming up to him with his communist patches saying, Hey, bro, hey, gr- or, or shit, I just. <laughs> <laughs> Stop using people's names. <laughs>